Originality is a precarious concept. Whether you are a computer programmer seeking a patent on a product or a chef conjuring up a new recipe, it is hard to avoid something that already exists. While the same can be said for the traditional arts, it is even truer for film. Films have stories, so you may have been drawing inspiration from another story. But film also have pictures, and from one camera angle to the next, you can unwittingly be copying another film. What about the dialogue? Words echo other words, as do sounds, and that is not to mention music and costumes. But the most obvious and limiting one is the use of a location. Forget about how many Westerns have used Monument Valley as their setting. Check out the diner scenes in Catch Me If You Can, Training Day, Seven, Gone in 60 Seconds, 500 Days of Summer, Million Dollar Baby, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Old School, and Ghost World, and you will notice the exact same decor in each one. That's because those diner scenes were all filmed in the Quality Cafe at 1238 West 7th Street in Los Angeles. I mention all that because in 1993, when Jane Campion won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for her film The Piano, there were whispers of its similarity to a novel published in 1920 called The Story of a New Zealand River. Written by little-known author Jane Mander, The Story of a New Zealand River is about Alice, a young European woman who travels to the Antipodes with her three daughters and a piano. Alice has gone there to marry Tom Rowland, a wealthy landowner. But upon meeting Tom, she finds him to be a brute, and falling in love with Tom's associate, David Bruce, Alice eventually goes to live with him instead. Sounds very familiar, but to be straight, it hardly matters, because the people that do matter, namely the owners of the film rights to Mander's novel, never sued for violation of copyright. So if they don't see the case, the whispers about Campion are moot points at best. It's a bit rough out there. Could be they can't get through to you in this weather. Do you have things for shelter? She smells thank you. Does your mother prefer to come on with us to Nelson? She says no. She says she'd rather be boiled alive by natives than get back on your stinking tub. You be damned fortune, I don't smack your puppy gob, young missy. Which brings me back to my opening point. Catch Me If You Can, Seven, Million Dollar Baby and Ghost World. They all use the same cafe to different effects. The fact is that Mander's book, which you can read online, is only a mediocre novel with some intermittent opinions about marriage, equality and sexuality, while Campion's plot is a mesmerising film with consistent ideas about gender, race and language. Now, before we go any further, we have to accept that this story is set in the mid-19th century, exactly the same time when Emily Bronte wrote her classic novel, Wuthering Heights. When doing interviews to promote her film, Campion repeatedly used Wuthering Heights to frame the style she used to make her film. For instance, Wuthering Heights uses the landscape as a metaphor to convey the tempestuous relationship between Catherine and Heathcliff. Likewise, the piano revels in not only the ruggedness of its landscape, but harnesses that landscape and almost everything in it as a metaphor. Let's begin with the film's title, 
Ada, our heroine, forcefully played by Holly Hunter in an Oscar-winning performance, can speak, but refuses to do so. The voice you hear is not my speaking voice, but my mind's voice. I have not spoken since I was six years old. No one knows why. Not even me. Instead, when she communicates with her oppressive husband, Stuart, played by Sam Neill, she writes notes that she gives to her daughter, Flora, who then reads them aloud. Flora, played by Anna Paquin, who won an Oscar for her performance, is a strong-willed and free-spirited child who functions more than just a messenger for her mother. But while Flora literally reads Ada's thoughts, the words do not reveal the depth of her feelings. For that, Ada plays the piano. In other words, and excuse the pun, if a man wants to understand Ada and win her heart, he is going to have to listen very carefully and get in tune with her feelings. We can't leave the piano! Look, let's not discuss this any further. I'm very pleased that you arrived safely. Mother wants to know if I can come back directly for it. Could I apologise for the delay, which I regret was... Un- After un- they've taken the other things. Oh, no, it can't come now. It must. She wants it to come. Yes, and so do I, but there are too few of us here to carry it now. Too heavy. Remember, the film is set in the mid-19th century, a time when men expected women to be passive, quiet and compliant. And when they were not, men described such women as emotional, hysterical and irrational. Ask anyone who has studied linguistics and they will tell you that those who control language control society. And certainly, the 19th century was male-dominated. So, Ada is not just refusing to talk, she is refusing to submit to that patriarchal order. Stuart recognises this rebellion, and it is for that reason that he decides that Ada's piano will have to stay on the beach. But what Campion does next is great. Look at the character of Baines, played by Harvey Keitel. Those 80 acres across the stream, what do you think of them? I don't have any money. What are you on about? I'd like to make a swap. What for? The piano. Or the piano on the beach? It's not marshy, is it? No. Well, Bain's the music lover. I never would have thought. Hidden talents, George. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have to get lessons. Unlike Stuart, who insists on wearing his European garb, Baines mixes his clothes, matching some of the items worn by the indigenous Maoris, whose land this is. Only it isn't anymore, because it has been colonised. And so, they too must learn how to speak Stuart's English. More than that, Stuart's cutting down of the Maori forests is an extension of the barbaric way he mistreats Ada. How about that for patriarchy? By contrast, Baines is a progressive man with a liberal nature. He has learned the Maori's native tongue and has even gone so far as to have Maori tattoos inked on his body. Here is a man who is comfortable not only in both worlds, 
but literally in his own skin. Ada's costume is no less expressive. With Stuart having insisted that Ada's piano be left on the beach, Baines takes it to his house. Ada, who needs music to express herself, begins to bargain with Baines to gain access to her piano. In the film's most celebrated sequence, Ada goes to Baines's house and strips off her clothes. But this totemic disrobing is not just sexual, it is a social rebellion as well. Now consider the dominant colour in the film. Director of photography Stuart Dryberg gave the film a colour code using cold blue filters on the scenes in and around Stuart's house, while Baines's home is afforded a warm golden tone. 1993 was a very good year for cinema. In America, you had Groundhog Day, Jurassic Park, The Age of Innocence, The Fugitive, In the Line of Fire, Shortcuts, Days and Confused and True Romance. Also, Hollywood financed overseas pictures such as In the Name of the Father, Much Ado About Nothing and The Remains of the Day. In Mexico, Guillermo del Toro made his first feature film, Kronos, and in Europe, Krzysztof Kieslowski completed his Colors trilogy. While the piano was not financed with American money, the independent distributors Miramax did pick it up and pushed it all the way to seven Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. But that was the same year that Steven Spielberg made Schindler's List. Anyway, in a year of such fine films, when the piano screened in competition at the 46th Cannes Film Festival, Jane Campion became the first woman ever to win the Palme d'Or. (laughs) ¶¶ 